So I wanted to first welcome everybody into the Apple Store Upper East Side. We're very happy to have everybody here joining us for this very special occasion, very special event. Um, the Juilliard String Quartet is celebrating their 70th season. So this is definitely very special. And Joel Krosnick, the cellist, is celebrating his 42nd and final season. So um, very excited to have everybody here for this. So with that said, I would like to welcome, if you can please put your hands together for Courtney Burton. She is the managing director of Juilliard Global Ventures and also very responsible for this event. Courtney. Thank you, Jessica. Good evening, how is everyone? Thanks so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure that you're here this evening to celebrate an exploration of Death and the Maiden by Franz Schubert and the Juilliard String Quartet. Um, just a few thank yous before we start. I'd like to thank Jessica and the Upper East Side Store team. It's such a pleasure being here. This is actually our third time working with the Apple Store on an event, and um, it just keeps getting better and better. So thank you very much for everything you've done to make this happen. A huge thank you to the Juilliard String Quartet for being here this evening. I know that's why we're all here. Um, and a huge thank, thank you to their management, Charlotte Schroeder and Chris Putnam at Colbert Artists. Thanks so much for all of your help in making this evening happen. Um, so as Jessica mentioned, my name is Courtney Burton, and I'm with a new department at Juilliard called Juilliard Digital. And the goal of that department is really to extend the reach of Juilliard by melding together sort of the most innovative and current digital technologies, educational technologies, with the school's 110-year-old legacy of performance and education. And eventually this will be spun out into a whole portfolio of digital initiatives, but currently we have two that are available and on the market. And we have some of our Juilliard Digital team members here tonight. Can you raise your hands just so people can see you? So feel free to bombard them with questions if you have any. Um, just to give you a quick overview of what will happen this evening, I'll start off by giving you just some background information about the app. We'll do a demo so that you can see some of the features. Um, then we'll invite the JSQ up to perform a couple of pieces. And finally, at the end of the evening, it'll be your time to ask questions. So please keep track of them, and you'll be given an opportunity to speak directly with the quartet. Um, so if you want to continue and follow digital we're at digital.juilliard.edu. Um, as I mentioned, we have two apps that are currently available, the first of which is called Juilliard Open Studios. And Juilliard Open Studios provides unprecedented access into the artistic development process. So it takes you inside the school, inside the classrooms, on the stage, really next to some of the greatest artists of our time, people like Wynton Marsalis, like the Juilliard String Quartet, like Emmanuel Axe, and even some up and coming stars like Adam Driver. So I invite you to download that if you get the opportunity that covers music, dance, and drama. And then tonight, we're going to be going over our second app in the market, which is the Juilliard String Quartet app. Just so I can get a show of hands, um, how many of you have the JSQ app? Just by a show of hands? Okay, how many of you have any apps from TouchPress or have heard of TouchPress? Okay, so in order to create these apps, we've partnered with a fantastic app developer based in the UK. They're called TouchPress, and they're really a leader in educational apps. Um, 
you know, they have things out there about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, about all of the elements of the orchestra, and we hope to have a long continued partnership with them. So I'm convinced that by the end of this evening, each of you will want to take the Juilliard String Quartet home with you, and we'll download the Death and the Maiden app. Um, so why don't we actually dive in to the demonstration, and I'm going to take you through some of the features of the app. Okay. You can raise your hand if you can't hear it. We want to make sure you get a chance to actually hear this demonstration. So if this is your first time seeing it, this is the launch page of the app. And you're given the option to either go straight to the performance of Death and the Maiden, to view the lead, which is a short, about three-minute song, off of which the second movement is based on. Or you can read a fantastic analysis of the piece written by Dr. Lisa Robinson, who's here today. So if you have questions for her, Lisa, please raise your hand. She's ready to answer them. <laughs> and what I love about this and what I think Touch Press is really setting you up for is to experience music in a brand new way. So this really takes all of the juicy features about audiovisual content, deep analysis, personal commentary from the JSQ, and wraps it up into one app. And so they're really preparing for you to say, hey, let's listen to and experience music in a brand new way. Also, you're put in the driver's seat. So you can choose what kind of listening experience you want to have each time you launch the app. So since I'm in the driver's seat for tonight, we're going to start with the performance. So before we go any further, I'm going to give you some terminology that I'm going to use throughout this demonstration. So what we're seeing here is what we call the TV edit. This is your director's cut of the performance. This is what you might see on a PBS special, which goes in on some of the beautiful details of the instrument playing and also shows some of those wider, wider out shots so that you can see the quartet interact with each other. You'll also see a very easy way to navigate from movement to movement. So you can jump from one to four. If you're on a short subway ride and you only have time for five minutes scherzo, you can go there. You have here what we call the four up screen, which I'll walk you through in a moment. We have this down here called the string map, a really interesting way to visualize the music. Down here we have commentary. You can listen and read, or you can just read, and this is commentary from the quartet. And then finally, we have a score that you can toggle off or on. So we're going to start with the commentary. And one of the things that I love most, thank you, one of the things that I love most about the commentary is it's incredibly personal, but it technically unveils so much. So really, it's for the spectrum of user, from, from someone who may just be hearing this piece for the first time to someone who may have a really deep knowledge of it and want to dig a bit deeper. So um, we're going to listen to a bit of the commentary. And you'll notice that the quartet so beautifully brings out a lot of the motivic elements, such as the triplets and the running 16th notes, so that you can follow along and really listen to them. They also use some incredible imagery to describe what you're hearing. So let's take a look at that now. Transformation 
starting corral passage. The triplets perhaps being transformed into three quarter notes. And now back to the triplets. Even more up. Yeah, we take this material, stuff and pass it around and in this culture hyperwind through the whole piece. You can hear how those triplets give such an incredible life and almost agitated quality to them. And now they become this accompaniment underlying this beautiful melody, which also still is based in a triplet dialogue between first and cello. Passing the accents one to the other. But the triplets are everywhere. They're, they're the fabric of the piece. You can call it whatever motive you like, death motive, frightening presence. Now, the subtitles are also available in traditional and simplified Chinese. So if you speak Chinese, you have another option of experiencing the music and the app in a whole different way. So now we're going to move on to the score feature, which I saw many of your eyes light up <laughs> when, we, when we got to that point. Now, what I personally love to do is have the commentary from the quartet on while referencing the score. So you have a lot of different ways that this information is coming to you. You're hearing the music, you're hearing the quartet highlight specific technical and structure, structural things within the music, and then you're actually seeing the structural, um, the construction pass by as well. So let's take a little listen, and in particular pay attention to the way that the quartet describes the passing of the 16th notes and the triplets with the score. The harmony is so, what's the word, angular and touching, and then it turns into this little introduction to the second main material. Still passing triple around. The second theme with this with the triplets underneath. Murmuring, but there. I always think a little bit it should feel like a sort of bubbling brook or um, a sort of wi uh, a watermill or something like that, just triplets underneath. There's still a quality of terror in that word or a hint of terror. The nice thing about the score is you can also use it as a navigation tool. So we're going to fast forward a bit. And it picks up right at that spot in the score and in the music. So now moving on to what we call the four up screen, this allows you again another opportunity to sort of get in closer with the quartet in a way that you've never really been able to. So you can simply watch the four up screen as it is, getting a little bit more detail on the fingerings and some of the very specific technical aspects that each quartet member does, which we'll do. And the triplets reappearing in the cello in the well, in every, every... Or you can do something 
that we call leaning in. So you lean in and you choose to hear one instrument line above the other. So we all know Schubert and all of his genius um, has constructed all sorts of interesting harmonies amongst these four instruments. But what if you wanna understand how one line really interacts with the others to create that harmony? So we're going to do that now. We're gonna lean in to Joel and hear his cello line and then we'll lean in to Roger and hear his viola line. So that's our four-up screen. You can choose to lean in to whoever you'd like. So you've seen the TV edit, you've seen the four-up screen, you've seen the score. Now we're gonna move into what we call the string map. And the string map is really another way of enjoying the music, of visualizing it. Um, I personally like to use the string map with, again, the audio commentary and the score. So once again, you're getting all of the layers. So when someone mentions a triplet, you're seeing the way that the rhythm interplays with the other instruments. You're seeing it on the score. You're hearing it in the music. So this shows you A, rhythmic interplay. It shows you B, the pitches. So you hear the very highest pitch of the first violin all the way down to the lowest pitch of the cello. Um, and then you also see these harmonic uh, motifs come to life in a brand new way. So we're gonna look at the beat map a bit. And we're gonna turn on the commentary as well so you can see how all of these layers really build and give you a deeper appreciation for the piece. Strange roles in the first section. I was playing the triplets now he is, and I'm in parallel with Joe. So you see the triplets and the viola here, as well as here. And the triplets continue to murmur all during the second theme. And it's as if when we go onward from this statement of the second theme, the energy of the triplets gets transformed into the sixteenth. Sixteenth, yes. Second violin, first violin. Back to second violin. 16th notes. Switching back and forth. And then the 16th notes come here. Switching back and forth. Constantly passing 16th notes. And each instrument gives it a slightly different character.
So it's easy to be put in a trance by that string map. I tell you, I can watch it forever. So those are some of the main features on the performance screen. As I mentioned, you can also navigate here. Say you just want to see the second movement. You can strip away all of the features and just listen to the piece, pure and simple. So we're going to continue. It's so simple and so perfect. Somehow. Yes, you would recommend this app to a friend. <laughs> I won't right now, but you should. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. This is not what would really happen. Um, so now we have, uh, we're going to go to about the piece next. And as I mentioned, this is really a, what I think is a fantastic analysis and intellectual deep dive into Schubert, into the work itself, into this motif of death and the maiden and what that really means in each movement, how the performers interpret it. Um, and as you'll see here, you have multiple chapters and it's not just text and video. These consist of very compelling texts interviews, visual images, pictures of the manuscript, um, graphic images of the harmonic structure, audio clips, it's, it's packed. So I'll just give you um, a brief little overview of some of the multimedia aspects. There you see the harmonic diagram, the audio clip, the interview material. And I'll play this short interview and I hope that you'll be able to hear it. Well, that's my favorite thing in the variations is the major variation where all the angst has gone away and it's there's a real sort of rapt sense of um, sort of elevated beauty to it who knows whether he's thinking about heaven at that point and towards the end as the viola player I'm aware that suddenly I get a sort of after a, some stillness just before some stillness, there's some motion in the viola part. And it, it, I'm sure most people feel this about it, that it, it feels like a sort of heartbeat, especially because then it stops. It's sort of, it, it, it begins to become irregular, and then it stops. So I don't know whether he was thinking about a heartbeat stopping, but I can't help thinking of it this way. So I think it's really invaluable to get those sort of personal insights from the quartet members. These are the things that they think about as they're interpreting the piece, as they're playing the piece, as they dig deeper with the piece year after year of playing it. So one more aspect um, that I think is really compelling about this app is the lead. So we know that Schubert was an extraordinary composer, specifically of leader as well. And um, what we'll see here let me go ahead and open this up. We have the opportunity to actually listen to the song, which was composed first. And many of the variations that you hear in the second movement of the quartet are based off of this song. So this song is just about three and a half minutes long, very beautiful. And it's performed here by Avery Amaro, who's a current Juilliard student, and the head of Juilliard's vocal arts division, Brian Zeger. So we're gonna listen to a little bit of that once again to show you a different facet of Death and the Maiden. Thank 
And in this song, Avery represents both death and the maiden, which you'll hear. Here's death. So we won't go through the whole thing, or else you, won't, you wouldn't have a reason to see it yourself and take it home, right? <laughs> so that's our basic overview of the Juilliard String Quartet app. Um, I have to tell you from being a producer on this project and even with it being publicly available, every time I come to this app, I learn something new, a new piece of information, a new gem every single time. And I think that's the real um, beauty of an app like this is you're uncovering something new every single time that you view it. Um, so now this concludes the demonstration portion of the evening and we're going to bring out um, the reason why you're here, <laughs> which is the Juilliard String Quartet. Um, so we're going to go ahead and bring them out. Please give them a round of applause. And as they're... As they're making their way out, as they're making their way out, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the quartet. So the Juilliard String Quartet was founded in 1946. The quartet's recordings of the Bartok and Schoenberg quartets, as well as those of Debussy, Ravel, and Beethoven have won Grammy Awards. And in 2011, the quartet became the first classical music ensemble to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. Over its seven decades, the quartet has made manifest the credo of its founders to play new works as if they were established masterpieces and established masterpieces as if they were new. In addition to being extraordinary performers, they are also master teachers and very passionate about education. At Juilliard, they are the string quartet in residence. They also offer open rehearsals and master classes while on tour. They truly carry the banner of the United States and the Juilliard School and the meaning of artistic excellence wherever they go. Please welcome Joseph Lynn and Ronald Copes on violin, Joel Krosnick on cello, and Roger Tapping on viola, the Juilliard String Quartet. I would like to take this time to open up the floor to have some questions and answers uh, provided by the quartet. Um, this is a very basic question. Please, um, I'm embarrassed for myself, but what, how old were you when you started playing? I guess I'll start off and pass it around. Uh, about four. Nine. Eight. 
Started the violin when I was seven and then changed the viola gradually after that. Did any of you ever struggle with a stage fright when you started playing, or how did you overcome that? I don't know whether it's a struggle, but stage fright, which, which is a fast term, uh, nerves, stress, all of that, that's part of what we do. And in a way, a very early teacher of mine said, you know, at first you will, you will feel this, and you will gradually learn, and you will always feel it, which is true. And, but you will gradually learn to let it sharpen and heighten your hearing, your reaction to the music. Uh, uh, yes, I still have stage fright as such. I, uh, I, I haven't used that term in some time. But there, there is something which uh, heightens our intensity that goes on when we're trying to be together and share it all with you. Uh, I have one question about the, the sim difference between when you play in the symphony and the quartet. So why did you choose uh, this job <laughs> rather than a symphony musician? I think for me, First of all, I enjoy sharing music with people, um, a small number of people, I really enjoy that. Um, but also it's the literature. There's something about the quartet, the string quartets which have been written by, that are some of the greatest products of human imagination ever. And it's not that there aren't wonderful, wonderful symphonies in the same way, but there's something very very special and there's a certain kind of intimacy that comes from sharing this fantastic literature with people, just the, just the four of us and, and audience members. It's a very special thing. It's not actually a question, it's an observation. I've never had the opportunity to sit this close to watch a string quartet and I noticed how you make eye contact with each other. You are communicating, which is such a beautiful thing not only through the music, but you're communicating with each other, and thank you for letting me see that. Part of what we hope to achieve with the app is that you all who watch the app have a front row seat, and you're all watching, uh, among other things, in, in the app. I mean, you can watch it through the eyes of one of us, or hear as though you were sitting in my chair or in Roger's chair. And uh, that's what we hope with the app that you would get a chance to do. Uh, be inside the quartet, sit right in front, uh, you know. And indeed, the, the parts of the app that feature slightly more one instrument than the other are in a way no more than getting a front row seat or a second row seat in a concert and being on the right side of the quartet or being on the left side of the quartet or being right in the center. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just that you would sit way back and hear a blended sound. It's four people conversing. Yeah, I, I just wondered if you could speak a little bit more 
uh, to why Death and the Maiden, sort of what the process was, whether you think that it's particularly suited to an app like this, and uh, what sort of what, what would be next? What are other candidates in your mind? I'll answer the second part of that question first. Just about anything. I mean, there's a huge amount of repertoire. The, the choice of the Death and the Maiden was a little bit serendipitous, thank you, um, that we actually had established the repertoire for last season, a couple of years before that. When the opportunity for the app came about, um, we basically looked at our repertoire for last season and said, what would make a suitable app? It's very lucky in some respects that we were playing the Death and the Maiden. It is perhaps one of a very, very small handful of quartets that identify themselves as being uh, huge monuments in the literature that everybody knows or that are extremely well known. And I, we all thought that it would make a good exploration for this first app. There are, non, there are extra musical elements in it which are perhaps um, uh, give a foil for the book. Um, and it, it just it really was serendipitous that that's what we, we were doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, um, classical music is often thought of as kind of uh, fixed with notation, um, but we all know that there's a quite an amount of improvisation, or at least uh, personal touches that happen during performance. It's not exactly fixed, absolutely. Uh, my question is, to what extent each of you experience with improvisation in some form or another in playing some fixed piece of classical music? I guess the actual process of playing with each other it seems semi-improvisational in this sense that I think I once read that if you look at a piece of Mozart, about 90% of what you do isn't written down. And so one's always making choices. One's trying to get underneath the notes. And you can call that improvisation, or I, I guess it's more like what an actor does with a script. And you actually sort of get deep into the motivation for the, for the notes, for the phrases. And in this case, deeply into the sort of interaction with each other. And so it's not an extremely wide palette of choices you have, in a sense, but it's a subtle one. And so you're deciding sort of exactly how fast or slow to play things, pacing, but the discussions are not in these terms. How exciting is this? How much flutter should we have here? Um, and then balance is almost never written in a score. So what are we listening for? Which voices do we want to bring out? And it, so that is not exactly improvisation, but it's the sort of freedoms and decisions we're making. And then I guess the timing, the notes are not improvised, but the timing, the expression, we all value the sense that it could change and within the parameters of what we feel the composer is expressing. There's a very great composer who refers to, who refers to the manuscript and to the music that he writes down as black notes on white paper. And there's a certain amount you can put down in black and white, and a certain amount you cannot put down in black and white. 
so that even the most scholarly editions of Mozart, of Beethoven, have, yes, they have text, but, and it may tell you to be loud, it may tell you to play in a certain key, and we're not improvising that aspect, but we are taking the notes off the page and imagining somehow what the composer might have had in his spirit, in his mind. And uh, changing that constantly. We, for example, rehearse for, an, never mind regular rehearsal in, when we're in New York, but uh, an hour before every, uh, every concert, before the audience is let in, we're rehearsing, examining things in the text, suggesting that maybe tonight, well, we won't do it tonight, but you know we might try, and then we do that tonight. <laughs> you were saying that we, we don't play different notes from what the composer suggested, and we don't. But part of what creates perhaps the spontaneity that we look for at least comes from each of our genuine responses to this music. It's not even completely that we, we make, go through and make decisions about exactly what the balance is going to be, what, exactly how to inflect something. A lot of it is that we genuinely, in a particular evening, respond in such a way, and that we play off of each other's responses. And so there's a quality of, of non-replicability, how's that? Um, that perhaps more than, than really improvising, we're, we are responding, and hopefully we're responding honestly. And that, so to share with you guys and the audience what the state of the world is right, right now, tonight, for us. I'm curious if knowing when you're performing that people are going to be studying the app and rewinding and looking at each thing that you're playing had any effect on your performance. And a second part of that question, I see how you're laughing so much, is was there a temptation to redo certain parts? We say maybe I could do this a little differently since it's being recorded for prosperity. What was that process like? Well, it, it's similar to any recording, in the sense of I mean, an audio recording. But it's even more intense to have the camera, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Um, but it's uh, once we recorded, did the re actual recording. There were many, many, many steps before it it was put together in the app. Even the performance, even our performance, of. Um, uh, listening to, to different edits of the audio, to really finding what represented for each of us um, a certain competence, but also really captured the quality and um, the, the essence of what we felt in the piece. Um, there were selecting different video takes that were synchronizing the two and then synchronizing some more and then synchronizing some more and it was a very long process. Um, uh, so it, there was a large amount of, of uh, uh, post-production, I'll put it that way, of getting it so that it actually 
the app so that it really made sense and and hopefully we'll we'll share something with people in a fairly interesting way. Well, I wanted to uh, thank everybody for your questions. They actually inspired me to ask one, if I may. Um, <laughs> so uh, this question is for Joel uh, Krosnick. After 42 years with the quartet, what are you going to miss the most? You know, we're pretending to be to speak for Schubert. We're pretty. You know, they 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 for a while. A great actor, Hal Holbrook, used to do uh, an evening with Mark Twain, where he would come out, and during the entire evening, he was Mark Twain. And he was Mark Twain, you know? And we would never get to speak night after night, 45 minutes of the drama of Death in the Maiden, except by doing what we do. We're getting to travel to the land of Schubert and imagine, I mean, we're right next to him. He created the piece, we never could have created that. But we can recreate it, you know, and what will I miss? That. Thank you, uh, round of applause once again. <laughs>